Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha, I'm so happy to have you here with us today, and you're just going to absolutely love my guest today. I fell in love with her as I read her book. She was telling me everything that I needed and things that I can share, and I'm very excited about it. So welcome, Corby Mitlide. Very good, and thank you. Yes, it's great to be here, Emily. As I, I just um, finished reading your How to uh, Clean Out Your Life Closet. And I'm always really big on cleaning out stuff, you know, there's, there's always yes. things all over. I just actually completed a challenge that I hadn't done before where you, in uh, 27 days, you needed to release 29 things each day. And I thought, hmm, I've done 10 a day, but I'm not sure I could do 29. And I'll, let me tell you, it feels so good. <laughs> To, to have those things out. And, and that's just in, in physical stuff. And what you're talking about uh, with your writing is more how to, to uh, clean out your, your personal space. And I just loved it. So can you tell us a little bit about you? And I know that's not your only book. So let us know what's going on with you, please. Okay, let me see. That's the 30-second elevator speech. Um, <laughs> It may not be obvious from that book, but I am an internationally known psychic medium. I've been reading since I was 18. I'm 67. I am about as practical a psychic as you get. It's here are your opportunities. Here's the tough stuff. Here's how to rock and roll. My family growing up, very dysfunctional. Everyone else was medicine. I was an actress. I was a writer. I could have stood on the table at dinner and recited Shakespeare. They wouldn't have seen me. So I never went down the road that my family expected me to go on. As a result, I have lots of failures, lots of double backs, lots of what I call general stupids. Along with that, there were two very short bad marriages, now in a very good one. It's our 20th anniversary this year. And three cancer dances. Notice I do not say I fought cancer because what you fight fights back. And I am not a survivor because I do a lot more than hang on by teeth and toenails. I am a cancer dancer, found out how graceful I could be under pressure, got off the dance floor in one piece and avoided getting my toes stepped on. So that's how I teach. It's the examined life, which means this is happening and I really hate it, but there's no way to avoid it. What do I need to learn from it? For me particularly, how do I teach with it later? And the magic word, next. I love that. That's a great magic word. So so many of us get so so bogged down with with have tos that we can't see forward to realize that, that you know there's always always more something else to experience something else to love something else to do. They're afraid of letting go of their stories. Yes, you know yeah. we know who we are based on our experiences, but we get stuck. There are women who have been over cancer for 18 years. And the first thing you say is, hi, my name is Susie May and I had breast cancer. Well, I was the 1973 Betty Crocker homemaker of tomorrow from New Jersey from my high school, but I'm not there anymore. So that 
was part of my story, but it's not my story now. That's why next is so incredible. Don't stay stuck where you have pain. Move. Don't let it define you. Oh, that, that's the message we all need to hear, especially people dealing with grief. Yes. Uh, people want to hear about me that I had two husbands die and they go, oh, you know, and want to hear the sad story. Well, that's not where I am. But that that helped me get to where I am so that they can understand my perspective. But I don't have to, to tell the story over and over again. I, I want uh, my now story. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, as a medium, what I try to remind people is we never lose them. And that's not in a Hallmark movie sort of way. When we are down here in, in these bodies, it's not our entire soul. Soul's too big to fit in. Most of it is up there. So let's say that you're grieving the loss of your father. You know, my father was my best friend. I lost him a week before 9-11. During your lifetime, most of your soul, most of his is sitting up there with a bag of popcorn watching the show. So just because they're out of the envelope down here doesn't mean you've lost them. It doesn't. Do you miss the physical presence? Of course. There are Sunday mornings when I miss my father coming down the stairs in his ratty bathrobe and his rundown slippers, um, arguing with Meet the Press while he did the New York Times double cross stick in ink. That was dad. But the core of what he is, is still there. I can still feel it. And I know that if I do something really interesting, he's got an eye cock down here. He does. So, yes, I'm not saying you should not grieve. Good Lord. I'm not going to say you shouldn't feel anything. We need to feel these things. But, again, don't dwell in the grief tar pit. Look at all the magnificent things you had with that person while they were still down here in this particular incarnation. Bring them alive. When I talk about my father on these podcasts, when I write, because the one thing that he loved about me is I could write. I'll say, dad, you want to take a look at this? And no, I won't get the magic presence and see him reading the computer. And maybe I'm talking out of my hat. I don't know. I won't know till I'm dead. But for now, there is still that connection. I am still my father's daughter and everything that he loved about me is still alive. And as long as that happens, he's with me. That's so beautiful. And, and I agree wholeheartedly. I know when, when I'm writing, sometimes I'll, I'll finish something and look back at it and go, wow, <laughs> I'm not sure that came out of me. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that it came from the, the support and influence of, of my loved ones. They're, they're helping me to guide other people and in a very positive way. And I, I found that with all the, the work that I'm doing to help people with grieving, that it had to have happiness as an element. Because mm-hmm. too many people, I love that, that tar pit that you mentioned, that they just, you get stuck in a way that you can't pull yourself out of it without mm-hmm. really realizing and putting some effort toward it. But you can when you do. And you can't let other people's idea of what you should be. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let me use the example of my second marriage. Okay. This was Rich. Rich and I had known each other for 12 years and we were friends. So we decided to get married. We figured we were the only ones who would want each other. Uh, after about two years, 
he comes to me and he says, well, I've decided I don't like being married and I don't like Georgia. So I'm leaving and you're not invited. Now, mind you, I am not a magnolia. I'm a bagel. I belong in New York, but he moved down to Georgia because of a job and we moved. Oh, wow. So for three weeks, I played the wounded wife, but then I know what I learned from the Option Institute. Where's my happy? And I wanted to keep my friend. And I told him, if you want to leave, that's fine, but I want to keep the friendship. Things changed in an instant. The financial stuff was done on a handshake. He kept up his bargain. He gave me more money when he had it. Um, after that was settled, we sent each other postcards, birthday cards, every year on our birthdays till he died about 13 years later. Now, here's the key. Because we had decided how we were going to do things, I was uh, lecturing at a spiritualist church in Rochester week before my birthday in 2008. He died in 2007. And it was rookie day. And that's when people that have not given messages before are allowed to come up. And so a rookie came up to me and goes, Reverend Corby, may I come to you? That's the verbal. And I said, yes. She screws up her face and she's trying not to cry because she is convinced I will think she is an idiot. But she said, I am receiving a gentleman. He looks like Santa Claus, but he's younger and his beard is all um, red gold. And he's in a red t-shirt and sandals and shorts. And he has a cat in his arm that looks like a Siamese, but it's got long hair and he's making it wave at you and he's blowing your kisses. Now, of course, I'm laughing because I know that's rich. Wow. He moved to California, T-shirt, short sandals. The red T-shirt is, is a specific one I gave him. He was holding a Himalayan, which is a Siamese-pointed, long-haired Persian. That had been our first cat, Kaiser Wilhelm. And he was making it wave and blowing me kisses because it was a week before my birthday. Wow. Now, there's no way that that little rookie could have gotten that if he wasn't rich. If we had been suffering in grief and misery and mean to each other, I don't think he would have showed up. But that is proof. A, yeah, they're still up there. And B, we don't lose them. We don't. There is still love. Have that you hang on to. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, that's so beautiful. I'm so glad you shared that with us because it, it's such a vivid point. It's that, a fun story. Oh, yeah. It really is. It's, it's just great. And I know after my second husband died, I, you know, I was kind of out of sync for a while, not really sure mm -hmm. what was going on, what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I started doing a lot of things, writing, helping people by by doing uh, writing sessions to deal with grief. And that was going really well. And it was positive. And I thought, I love the positivity of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me that what was missing was happiness. Well, as soon as I started incorporating happiness into what I was doing, everything up leveled. And I thought, you know, I know that both of my husbands who were basically happy, genuine, joyful people, Mm -hmm. We're probably going, yay, <laughs> you got it, she got it. And since then, I've been happier than I've ever been. And I've been able to, to help people more. And life's good. And being happy after we lose a loved one doesn't mean we're callous. A lot of people think, I can't be happy. How rude is that? No, no, we're down here. And you have to ask yourself, if it was a loving, wonderful relationship, would they want you to be happy? Yes. If it was a miserable relationship, would they want you to be happy? Maybe not. So be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, it works. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, and it feels so much better. <laughs> to, it does. It's like ice. It's it's um, easier to live, easier to uh, enjoy your life. Yes, very much. Well, tell us a little bit about your book, Cleaning Out Your Life Closet, because I, I love the process that, that you shared, and it's all kind of common sense and doable. Right. There's the picture, kids. All right. It's four things. Clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. But, you know, I have this thing about self-help books because I will give 50 bucks cold cash to anybody who can truly hold up their hand and say, I have never bought one in my life. (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) And I remember the very first self-help book I bought, I was 13 in 1968. And I remember the very first paragraph of the first chapter. Judy has a groovy wardrobe. Judy's hair is fab and her makeup is far out, but nobody likes Judy because Judy's fat. Right there in one paragraph, an impressionable teenager is told nothing about you matters except your looks and how other people judge you. And that is where most self-help books go. We we're a victim society. Look, you know, victims are the ones who win reality shows. You know, oh, we're so sorry for you. You get the $2 million house. You're someone who's working hard and a good person. Now we don't care about you. So people understand victim means good. But when you're a victim, you give up your power. It is not the case that you don't know anything and the self-help person knows better. You must do everything that they say. You know, there's one book I read that said you mustn't eat food with leptin and you have to get up at 4.30 every morning to do yoga. Well, a single mom with two preschool kids and a 60-hour-a-week job in Milwaukee is going to read this and say, what planet are you on? So my self-help book is the exact opposite. You write it with me. Here's some of the stupid things I did. Here's a client story. Here's some suggestions. But at the end of each chapter is what I call the adventure pages, where the questions that you have to answer are only from your life. For instance, the chapter, when to stand your ground. Think of a time when you knew you had to stand your ground on a belief, in a relationship, on self-care. How did you do it? There are times for compromise and adaptability and times to stand your ground. How do you differentiate these for yourself? What is a good rule of thumb for you when you need to stand your ground yet remain comfortable in a situation? What behavior will support you? You're not going to find that on page 67, guys. You have got to look at your own life and honor it and pull out the wonderful building blocks and learnings that you have done. And that is what you build your life on. If you and your best friend buy my book on the same day, read the same chapters at the same time, but each of you, you do your own adventure pages at the end of that, you're going to have two different books because your life experiences are different. And you will learn that it is not true that Other people have to tell you what to do. When you are in charge of your changes, all possibilities are open to you as well. Wow. What a message that everybody needs to hear. So so many times we're we're waiting for the recognition or the, the 
comfort or the uh, direction or guidance from somebody else. And you, you can wait in that spot forever. <laughs> it's not going to You know, that's, that's called forgiveness instead of permission. And I use a puppy. If a puppy is waiting for permission to go out and pee, you're going to have a wet carpet. If the puppy just barges out the door and goes and pees and poos and comes back in, you may say, bad dog, you shouldn't have gone out. And the dog's going to look at you and say, well, I had to next time. Okay. Life is like that. If you wait for permission to live, other people are not interested. They'll just ignore you and you'll end up 70 saying, what happened to my life? Forgiveness is, oh, I'm sorry. You didn't want me to have a successful career as a psychic. I'll remember that next incarnation. I mean, there are members of my family that will not admit to what I do. They call me a motivational speaker because they're embarrassed or they're jealous or whatever. I don't know. But I did not wait until I had their permission to be who I am to go be who I am. If they think what I do is a carniac and charlatan and I steal people's money while I look at them and I say, thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish. And then I can do my life the way I know I need to do it. No guilt. That's right. And nobody else can do your life but you. Mm-hmm. And That's exactly right. We, we get into that, that rut of thinking that, that uh, we must be doing something wrong because our life isn't exactly where we want it to be. And that's not the case at all. Mm -mm. No, failures are only rerouted opportunities. I cannot tell you how many times I have failed in my life. Um, Been fired from jobs, projects I wanted to do went nowhere, half-finished manuscripts that are sitting in my basement. Two bad marriages. But I took a lesson from each one of those things okay, this didn't work, what's next, what's next, what's next? So that at 67, does my life look like I thought it was going to be? When I was a nice Jewish kid growing up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey to a very wealthy family, not even close. But it is the life that serves me. It's a good growing ground and I am content. You know, satisfied and content are very different things. Satisfied is, yeah, I guess I could do that. Content is warmth here. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be with the people I'm supposed to be with doing the thing that spirit wants me to do while I'm here. That's content. And that's beautiful. And, and that is the spot that it's, I think it's best to live because you, you can, you feel fulfilled and you do things that are the things you want to do for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've had a life of many different careers and experiences and opportunities, and they were all great for me at the moment that I was experiencing yes. them. Absolutely. And I can't say I had some, some didn't have downs that that happens too, but I focused on what fed me on, on what served me, what I could sit back and smile and go, I'm so happy I was in that place and, and got to do that thing at that time. And what, what a gift that was to me. It, yeah, yeah, sure, it was a gift to whoever I was working with. But because I was feeding myself, nurturing myself, I had all this strength and love and energy to share and spread. When we are doing what we're meant to do is when we bloom. It's one of the easiest times to add more to our story because we are, have such peace about being where we're supposed to be, doing what we're meant to do. We've cleaned out our life closet of all the things that stop us 
that it's when we write our own masterpiece. And nobody else can write that for us. Nope, not one person. Yes. Tell us about your, your other books, because I'm, I'm in love with the one that I just finished. So, <laughs> Thank you. They're very different. They are from my work as a psychic medium. The first one is The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys, and the story behind this one. About 18 years ago, I was doing a very large psychic fair in Toronto, 250 booths. And my booth was across from one of the fake gypsies. So there was somebody who came in, paid her admission. She's walking down the aisles, looking at everything. And the fake gypsy comes out and grabs her arm. Now, that's called hooking. And it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. But the fake gypsy goes, oh, you don't need to read 30, 40, 50 dollars for 10. I, I read your palm five here. Come with me. So she goes in. 20 minutes later, we see the woman who was walking down the aisle leaving crying hysterically. We went over to see what happened. The gypsy had said, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four? Your dog? $50 every family member. 25 for a dog. He's small. We fix told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I'd bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks, and the woman bought it. Oh, wow. So, exactly. So that's why I wrote this. There are 6,000 books out there that will tell you about psychic development, how to do it yourself. But when you go to an art museum, you love the sculptures, you love the oil paintings, but you don't want to get your hands in the paints and, and the sculpture work yourself. Same thing here. If you want to know how to safely find a good intuitive consultant, find out what we can do, what we can't do, the questions to ask, when to run, the kinds of things we can do, this is your book. And the fun part is a lot of psychics have read the book and gone, God, I wish I had this when I was a rookie. It would have made my work a lot easier. So... And I'm a funny writer, I admit it. Yes. So, you know, there are parts in there. Uh, I think my favorite one is the one about when not to have reading. And I talk about the client who wants what she wants, doesn't matter what. And every single one of us has gotten this. Does Bruce love me? No. Well, is he going to love me? Not the way you want. Well, if I do such and such, is he going to love me? No, he's not. Well, is he going to call? No, he's not. Well, if he's not going to call soon, is he going to call later? And they beat on you, hoping you will just go, all right, fine. He loves you and he wants seven babies with you, but he just doesn't know it yet. Oh, good. I got some. Don't do this to us. <laughs> the third book is, there are a lot of people who think, oh, well, I read cards in high school. So now I'm retired. I'll go make money at it. No, my darlings, it doesn't work that way. But I was on the road 45 weekends a year, 45,000 miles a year on the car doing psychic fairs and expos. My nickname was the Travel Channel. Now, 2019, I had a back injury that put me on the shelf that way. But that was fine because the year of murder hornet bingo happened the next year, but I had already moved my business online. Everyone is starting to do the fairs again. That's for this. You've got the magic who needs a genie. This is every single thing I learned being a road warrior, keeping you on the twin mountains of business acumen and wiki woo. And there are certain things in there you're not going to find from a normal business book. Things like, I always tell my people, it's important that you have a sign-in sheet. 
Why is it important to have a sign-in sheet? In London, Ontario, I was reading a young man who did not like what I told him. The next day, I found an anonymous death threat on my table. But because I had handwritten sign-in sheet and the death threat was handwritten, we matched the handwriting. We handed it over to the police. Just because you're doing this kind of work doesn't mean it's all sunshine and rainbows. It's normal work. You need to know both sides. And so that book is for the next generation of readers that's coming up. That's exciting. I haven't heard of anything else like that out there. There isn't. But guys, there are almost 8 billion people in the world. I can't read all. If there are new intuitives coming up the road, please, whatever I can do to raise them right, I'm happy to do it. That's so wonderful. I've, I've, uh, I've known a few intuitives uh, friends throughout my life. And I, I guess I must gravitate to the people who are, are genuine, you know, mm-hmm. and, and real in what they do. But of course, there are charlatans out there and you just, you have to pay attention. You do. You do. And there are people who are into the scarcity mindset. I often get asked, but you pulled, you know, little dancing bear, the rookie over and you showed her everything on your table and you gave her samples of your writing. And why are you doing this? And it's like, she's been reading for three years. I've been reading for 50. She does not have my personality or my skill set. She's no threat. All boats rise. And that apparently even in the professional psychic world, is a rare thing. To me, it's natural. I'm an elder now. Elders teach the youngers. That's my responsibility. That's, that, too, is an uh, incredibly important message that we all should. Oh, I have told myself I'm going to get that word should out of my vocabulary, but it's something that we can all gain from, is realizing yes. if, if you've got that talent, that expertise, that passion, and you can share it so that it spreads it more broadly. Mm-hmm. What a gift that is. And it's better to be an elder than a boomer, no matter what your age is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I agree with that. Wow. Well, this conversation has just been delightful. And you can tell by listening to Corby talk how, how her writing is. Because she writes like she talks. And it, it, it hooks you. Uh, you can't help but smile. You can help but go, oh, that's me. <laughs> or mm-hmm. that's something I need to pay attention to. And it, it was, I read it kind of quickly. And it's one of those books I'm going to go back and take it step by step. And that's why I gave you big margins to write in the book. <laughs> I always suggest that people underline, highlight, write in books, you know, because that that way it resonates with you and you can go back and pick it up later and go, oh, wow, yes, I remember that. Yes, yes. Well, and in our show notes for today, you will have the links to, to Corby and how you can get her books. And I highly recommend them. And I, I highly recommend such a beautiful, positive attitude like Corby has uh, to a way to look at the world. It's just, just great. And you guys, remember, I keep telling you, I am not special. You can do what I do. Don't you dare say, oh, well, that's Corby and No, that's you too. Honest. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. And uh, 
we're grateful to have Corby here and we're even more grateful to have you listen to Corby and smile and gain from, from her wisdom. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.